Today we actually have a special guest speaker, Micah, who's part of City Church. He's going to go ahead and come on up and speak and give the word. Would you guys go ahead and put your hands together for this guy? I'm going to go ahead and pray and then we're going to jump right in. There's, a, there's something that we can actually participate in when, when God's word is being read that's just so good, and that's, we can actually have open ears to what God wants to say. So um, sometimes it's like, man, I don't know if that message applies to me. When we open up God's word, it always applies. Yeah. If your ears are open, it will apply. And I'm telling you today, this message is going to apply. It's, it's going to hit home. And so uh, I just invite you to just open up our ears. Let's just go ahead and pray that. God, just open up our ears, open up our minds, open up our hearts to what it is that you want to say to us today. Have your way in this room. Come, Holy Spirit. Come in power. Yeah, lead and guide Micah on the points that he's to make and on the, on the things that are on your heart that he's supposed to share. Just continue to do that in Jesus' name. Just come over him in a blanket of guidance and uh, leadership. Just bless him, Lord. Bless his hands that have uh, been working on this message for the last four months. <laughs> Uh, we don't take that lightly, God. We are just totally, totally blessed as a church when somebody just gets up and speaks and shares their heart. We know the amount of work that takes. And so just bless every effort that he's put into this. Let it come out of his mouth clearly and precisely, directly what you want to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Neil. Whoo. Hi, I am Micah Jacquis. I am not the pastor of this church. Um, <laughs> that is Neil. Um, but uh, just a little bit about myself, because uh, a lot of you probably don't even know who I am. Um, just recently married a year ago to my beautiful wife, Angela. Would you stand, Angela? Let everybody see you. We just celebrated one year. We got married here at the church uh, back in May last year. Um, I have three, I have six kids, three are mine, and the other three were married in. Uh, two of my, my boys, they live with their wives down in Georgia, and they serve their church down there. They have, uh, my oldest boy has a, a baby on the way, due at the end of October. And then my daughter and her husband here in the Quad Cities, they serve at a church as well. Could you guys stand up real quick, because I, ex- I didn't expect them to be here today, so. And they have my two wonderful grand, grandbabies. Eliana, hey baby, <laughs> and Liam. Um, I'm just uh, so proud of my family. Thank you for coming, guys. <laughs> it's a great, just a great surprise. Um, and uh, today's Father's Day, I didn't really go into it too much um, on the first service, but first of all, before we go any further, I, again, Neil, as the father of our church, could you stand real quick and uh, let this uh, service honor you as well? <laughs> Eight years, guys. He's been the father of our church. He started this ministry, and uh, we're so grateful. I'm, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much for what you've done. It's made a difference in my life and my family's life. So, uh, Okay, so in honor of uh, the father of our church, I'm going to go ahead and tell a few jokes uh, real quick. <laughs> Okay, uh, here we go. 
How do you make a pirate furious? How do you make a pirate furious? Some people would say, you argue with him. That's not the right answer. The right answer is you take the P away. It makes him irate. Ah, okay. All right. All right. Okay. Maybe the next one. Maybe the next one. All right. This one's just a little bit of a story real quick. An 80-year-old woman was recently married to her fourth husband. A reporter questioned the occupation of her newly acquired husband. She replied that he owned a funeral home. Curious about the other husbands, the reporter also asked about their occupations. The woman paused for a while and, and then stated, Well, my first husband was a banker. My second one, which I was madly in love with, was a circus performer. The third one was a minister. Puzzled by her answers, he replied, none of these men have anything in common. She thought for a second. She stated, well, I married number one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, and four to go. <laughs> ah, come on. Yeah. All right. Well, here we go. Uh, I haven't done this for a while. Um, just a, a real quick, I, the last time, and I, I, I said it in the first service, the last time I actually uh, ministered was on Father's Day many years ago at another church. And, um, well, in the middle of that, they stopped recording my message. They deleted it, and then I never was allowed to speak again. So I didn't tell Neil till this morning that that's... That's the case, but um, hopefully, and you know, I don't know. You know, maybe I won't speak again. We'll see. <laughs> I'm going to try to keep it uh, to a minimum. On, uh, yeah. Um, all right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we'll just, uh, we sit, Lord, in your presence today. We invite it, your presence here. Open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive what you have for us today, Lord. Each and every one of us, we're here for a reason. You brought us here today. We're here to receive what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to do a real, recap, real quick recap. I, I, um, they didn't give me a whole lot of money the first uh, sermon, so uh, I went longer. So I feel like I might get a little bit more from you guys, so we may try to cut it down a little bit, okay? All right, this is going to be the short version. Real quick, I'm going to go over what uh, Neil kind of had, had taught us the last couple weeks about Elijah. First of all, Jehovah, Jehovah Magan, the Lord is our shield, the umbrella of protection. He talked about that. That's what the, the whole series is about. Um, the story of Elijah, Elijah was a warrior prophet. Elijah called drought down that lasted three, three and a half years. Elijah provided, was provided for by God with a raven who gave him brought him some, some meat, some kind of meat, but it was meat from the raven's mouth and bread until the brook dried up. And then the brook dries up. God calls him to the next one. He gets up and he goes, and he goes to the widow, and the widow doesn't have, a lot of, doesn't have much flour and oil left, but she, she, she sacrifices and she cooks that, that oil and that flour, and God provides for her for the rest of that three and a half years of drought. And then while, while she's taking care of Elijah over the rest of the drought, what happens? Her son dies, and then Elijah prays and says, ask God to raise her son from the dead, and he comes back to life. Then God says, okay, the drought's over. Go tell King Ahab. And King Ahab, 
when he gets there, instead of telling him that the drought was over, what does he do? He's like, okay, I'll tell you what. I'm going to show you who, God, who the true God is. I want you to meet me at, to- at the top of Mount Carmel. Bring all your prophets. Bring everything you got. And I want the whole country, bring the whole country. Call them to the mountain. And we're going to see whose God is really true, the one true God. So they get there. They come up, and then the, the prophets of Baal, and the whole country's there watching. And, and the prophets of Baal, they're, they're marching and singing and worshiping and cutting themselves and doing everything they can to call down fire from, call, have their God answer. The, the Baal, they want Baal to answer. He, no, no answer, just quiet. The whole time, Elijah's taunting them. And then what? And then Elijah says, okay, it's enough, my turn. And he says, okay, I want to rebuild. He rebuilds the altar, and he puts the sacrifice. He cuts the sacrifice up, and he puts it on the altar, and he puts the 12 stones around it, and then he, he digs that trench, and then he has the 12 buckets of, of water dumped on it. So he poured water all over this. It's impossible for God to light this now, right? And then he just says a simple prayer, God, show these people who you are. And what happens? Boom. God comes down and lights that. Doesn't just light the altar. He burns it up. Stones and everything. The water and everything. And that's basically where we pick up right now tonight, today, this morning. It feels like tonight. <laughs> this, this message has just been burning and burning in me. And uh, it just, it's, just, it's ready to just explode. So um, here we go. So... At, the, at, at this point, we're now at 1 Kings 19, 1 through 4, and it, it's, it's, uh, Elijah has now run down the, he's, he says the drought's over, he sees the hand of God coming out of the, out of the water in the class, size of a hand uh, cloud, and it just starts to rain, and he tells King Ahab, get back to the city um, before, it, before you can't get there because it's storming so bad. The storm starts coming, King Ahab, King Ahab goes in a chariot, and then Elijah runs ahead of him. With the great strength of God, he tucks his cloak, goes. He runs a marathon, 30, like 30-some miles, so it's over a marathon. He beats the chariot back to the city. He doesn't enter the city, but he beats the chariot back. And this is where we pick up 1 Kings 19, 1 through 4, and I'm going to read it on the screen. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So he had went down to the bottom of the hill before he saw the rain, and he slaughtered all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that, the, that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no, no better than my ancestors who have already died. So Elijah, after this mighty encounter with God, he sees a revival. All the, all the, uh, uh, the, the whole country bows down and says, the Lord is God, the Lord is God. They see this, and, and this whole revival breaks out. Elijah runs back. He has this great strength to beat the chariot back to the city. And I believe that at that moment, when he heard the message that came that said, 
he's going to be killed by a Queen Jezebel. I think that moment, his fear, when it caused him to run, he ran, he ran so far. He, it caused him just to take off immediately. And I believe that, that that came about because of, I think, like what we deal with. I, I try to put myself in his shoes and what I would have felt if, in that instance, I was just coming off a mountaintop high, and I, I, I got down to the bottom, and I, I had all these things, and I'm on a high, but yet my expectations at the gate, I expected God, after all this revival, I thought for sure God was going to show up in, that, in the country. He was going to change the world. He's changing the world with this. I know he is. And then the message comes that says, I'm going to kill you. There's a contract out on his life. And I think, I think Elijah got to the city and he thought that Queen Elizabeth, Queen, <laughs> I said the same thing in the first service. <laughs> Queen Jezebel. Queen Jezebel was, I, I believe that, that he thought they were going to throw a parade at the city, that they were going to just raise him up on their shoulders and they were going to march through the city and just, woohoo, all right, Elijah, all right, Elijah, you pointed us back to God. We love God. God is, Lord is God. And I think his expectations when that message came, he was thinking it was a completely different, going to be a completely different outcome. And I believe that's what rocked his world. There's a bug up here. Um, but I think that things like that today happen for us. You know, I had um, three years ago um, in my life something, I, I, w- I had been married for 28 years. And... Um, my world got rocked three years ago. And, and the things that I thought, I thought the outcome of my life as I got older, as things went on, I thought it was completely different than what it is today. But God, my life was rocked. And I was in one of the lowest places I have ever been. Um, When you get discouraged, when you don't think that there's anybody out there, when, you don't, when you're depressed and down and you, you don't have any reason to go on, you feel alone, but God, God is there. He's always there. He's always right beside you. He's there. I don't know, does that sound like anything <laughs> any of you have been through? <laughs> lows, <laughs> mountaintop, highs, valley lows. Yeah. Mm. I think some of that is our expectations that we have for the outcome. That's why it gets so low, because we expected so much from the outcome. But we don't leave room for circumstances to change. I think Elijah was uh, focused more on his circumstances than he was on his God. He was focused uh, more on the enemy's power to, to uh, destroy instead of uh, God's power to prevail. He was at a time in his life where he was, you know, he just came off this, this high 
and he ran 30-some miles back to the city expecting something else, and that didn't happen. So then he ran another 100 miles to Beersheba, and then he dropped his servant off, and then he went out another day into the wilderness, into the desert. And then he just collapsed in this cave, and he, he was just done. He was spent. He just wanted to die. He didn't have anything else he wanted to live for. He was done. And I believe he was, at that moment, he was completely physically exhausted. I think we've, <laughs> I think we've all been there. And then he was emotionally exhausted, drained. Everything was gone, stressed out. Didn't have anything. He felt like he was just going to run the rest of his life, and he has no reason to. He was tired of running. And then he was spiritually exhausted because he had been running. He hadn't spent in that last how much time. He, wasn't, he had just come from this high with God, and then all of a sudden he's run, running. That's all he's been doing now for days. I think that uh, that's exactly what I would do, most likely. I just keep running. We get stuck in our head. We get stressed out. Things don't go our way. Our car breaks down. Can't figure out where we're going to get our next meal. How are we going to make the house payment? How are we going to take care of these kids? Um, yeah, uh, life gets overwhelming. But God, <laughs> oh, but God. But he was there. Let's see what, uh, let's see what God does in uh, verse 5 through 8. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree, but as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside him, his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more out of the or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up, ate, and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. Ah, man, he's got some stamina. <laughs> the strength of God to get him 30 miles, and then almost instantly 100 miles, and then another day into the desert, and then 40 days and 40 nights on just some bread on a hot stone and some water. That's some stamina. I want that, God. <laughs> Give me that strength. I don't want necessarily to have to be in the desert for that long, but <laughs> I want your strength. Mm. So Elijah was at his lowest. He wanted to die. He had no physical strength. He had no emotional, emotional uh, ability left in him. He was spiritually empty, just completely empty. And what does God do? He shows up with, and meets his physical need where, his, where he needed him. He needed him physically. He needed that strength, the bread and the water to build that physical side of him up. God sends an angel. The angel says, um, you need to eat some more. That's not enough. You've got a, uh, quite the journey ahead of you. So he eats some more, and he gets up, and he goes, 40 days and 40 nights. All right, let's read on in 1 Kings uh, 19, 9 through 13. 
There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were, were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah, when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? It was probably more like, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Micah? What are you doing here? That's how I imagine it. And I imagine if we go back, let's go back to the last scripture, verse 11, I believe. Go, he says, go out and stand. God tells Elijah, go out and stand before me on the mountain. Okay, go forward. So he's supposed to, he's, I, this is how I picture Elijah. He's back here in his cave, and, he hear, and he, he's like, he hears that first, Where, what are you doing here, Elijah? And then God's like, stand up and co come out here and, and see me. Get in my presence. And Elijah's just kind of like almost in fear because he doesn't know how God's going to deal with him. And, and then the wind comes, that hurricane blows by, and these rocks just crumbling off the mountain. He hears these loud noises. The, the bridge uh, exploded today. Um, they blew it up, and I, was, I don't live close to that at all, but I heard it and felt it in my house, and I had no idea what it was. It was a little scary, um, but so I, I, I just imagine, I picture him just back here all just like wrapped up in his cloak and like, okay, he hears the, the, the and then the earthquake comes and the ground starts to shake and he's like, oh no, <laughs> but I don't, I don't hear God in that. And then the fire comes and he sees the smoke and the flames and, and he's like, no, I don't, I don't think that's God. And then all of a sudden, this gentle whisper, everything quiets down and what are you doing here, Elijah? And, and he leans in and he, he steps up and he, he comes to the entrance of the cave, and he stands there, covers his face, and just I, I just picture him just start weeping and feeling that reassurance from God. That hug, as he wraps him, God just wraps his arms around Elijah, and he says, Elijah, I don't see failure. You still have purpose. You still have a plan. I don't care about your past. I don't care about your current situation. I don't care about your present. Just get in my presence. Let me hold you. Let me love on you. I believe that's what God wants to do for you today.
He wants to do for me. He just wants to wrap you up and hug you with his heart of compassion. He loves you so much where you're at. And I think that there's, there's three things that we can learn from God in that gentle whisper. The first thing is, it's exactly what Elijah needed at that moment. Elijah needed that, that hug. And this is where we see God now ministering to his emotional state. He's filling up his love tank. He's just wrapping his arms around. So now he's met the physical and, and emotional. And at the same time he's, he's met those, he's now starting to meet that spiritual. He's like, get in my presence. Get in my presence. Get in my presence. I think the second thing he says, is, or that it shows, is it shows the nature of God, his tenderness. Although, you know, he was expecting God to probably come in judgment and judge him for where he was, and that's why he stayed back. He wasn't sure. But when God came in that compassion and that hug and loving him and wrapped him up, he just, it rocked his world again in a good way. <laughs> it brought him back to realization. And then the third thing is uh, the foreshadowed of what was to come. You know, I think so many times we, we sit back and we, we expect these mountaintop highs with God. All our experiences are going to be mountaintops, and if they're not, we're not really serving God the way we're supposed to. And that our valley lows, we don't, you know, I think it's easy for us to see or to believe that God loves us when we're up here, when we're having good times. We're all in the good. We feel good. We're going to church. We're tithing. We're... You know, we're, we're teaching Sunday school, but it's, it's a little bit harder to believe that he loves us when we're not doing those things. But he does. He loves us unconditionally. He loves you unconditionally, right where you're at, right where you're at, no matter what your past looks like. And then uh, what does he do? He, he calls Elijah to action. Let's look at verse uh, 14 through uh, 18. He replied again. <laughs> he says the same thing. I'm not reading the same scripture over. This is a new scripture. I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. All right, your pity, pity, pity party's over. <laughs> the Lord said to him, go back in the same way you came. And travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazel to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be the king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Snapchat. It's easier to say that. <laughs> From the town of Abel Mahola to replace you at, as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Hazel will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have, who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. All right, so Elijah gets a dose of reality. God says, okay, I've, I've shown you my love. I love you unconditionally. I, I, I've provided for you. Now I'm, 
I'm going to go ahead and send you back to where you came from. You still have purpose. You still have a plan. I still have a plan for you. I'm going to have you. You're still going to anoint kings. You're still going to anoint a prophet. There's 7,000 that I have preserved. You're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. (laughs) God has a plan and a purpose for every one of you in here. Every one of you in here. You're not alone. Okay. If you want to hear God and really hear his voice, i got four things that you can take away today that are very practical and very easy to do. It just takes a little bit of a tweak in your life. Take time to get in his presence as often as you can. Be still. Be still and listen. He's always speaking. God is always speaking. You just have to listen because there's going to be the earthquakes and there's going to be the fire and there's going to be the hurricanes that come. Just be still and listen. And then when you start to hear God's voice, come out of the cave. Lean in. Okay, God, what are you saying? Okay. Okay. Yep. And then go. You got to step out and you got to go. Go back to those places that you may feel like you failed in. Go back. God's giving you another chance. He's making a way for you. God's making a way for you. He'll do the same thing he did with Elijah. He'll, be, uh, he'll get one-on-one with you. Just take the time. He's always speaking. It doesn't matter. I said this already, but I'm going to say it again. It doesn't matter what your current situation is. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. It doesn't matter what you're going through right now. It doesn't matter what you went through, what you did in your past. It doesn't matter what you're doing today. It doesn't matter. He loves you unconditionally. Unconditionally. And he'll meet you right where you're at. You're not alone. Let's pray. Can everybody stand for me, please? Dear Heavenly Father, we invite your presence here right now. Hallelujah. You know, if you're anything, uh, if you're anything like me, (laughs) uh, I struggle with a clear mind, um, seeing things clearly. I have things that seem to just come into my head constantly. And um, even like that, that little bug that flew around, I started having ideas of things I could say. <laughs> and uh, it's a distraction. And a lot of these things are, are here for that reason. That's why they're sent. They're like the, it talks about this in the Bible, the fiery darts that the enemy shoots at you. It's that, those are the distractions. And I believe that God wants to help you see Jehovah again. The shield of protection today. That umbrella that you can angle down and block those fiery darts. And he wants to do that for you today and for me. 
Dear Heavenly Father, I just, uh, I come against that right now. Those fiery darts that cause those distractions and that, uh, that feeling in our minds that uh, overwhelms us, that, that stress that comes against us that we can't think straight. If you're dealing with that today, I want to invite you to, uh, to come up. We'll have, a, have someone up here to pray for you. But let somebody lay hands on you and pray for that uh, shield of protection. Dear Heavenly Father, dear God, I thank you that you are Jehovah again. our protector, our shield of protection to block against those fiery darts of the enemy that we will prevail. Thank you, Jesus. We're here in your presence right now, Lord. We receive that right now. Hallelujah. We love you so much, Jesus. Move right now.